In the past, there was childhood and adulthood. You know, but nowadays, things have gotten more complicated. You know, there's childhood and adulthood. Uh, then in between, there's this thing called adulting. You know, the, the term adulting uh, became popular about seven to eight years ago. So in 2016, the Oxford Dictionary shortlisted adulting as one of its candidates for word of the year. Uh, it defined adulting as, quote, the practice of behaving in a way characteristic of a responsible adult, especially the accomplishment of mundane but necessary tasks. So, for example, adulting means doing housework. <laughs> adulting means paying the bills. Adulting means paying rent. You know, some of you parents would be tempted to charge your children rent. Uh, adulting means you know, buying a house, starting a family, raising children. So, ad adulting came about as a kind of like a funny, humorous way of talking about the challenges younger people face when adjusting to adulthood. Right? You know, there's this transition process, you just call it adulting. You're not quite ready to be an adult yet, but I'm, I'm adulting. You know, we, we all understand that growing up isn't easy, you know, hence transitions are tough. But growing up is something that we all must do. Right? We, at, at some point, we, we can't remain children forever. Uh, we have to grow up and become adults. What about growing Spiritually, do we, do we think about that spiritually as well? You know, do we grow up to become spiritual adults or are we content to remain children forever? Now, why is it important for us to go on to maturity, to adult, so to speak, into Christian maturity? And what if we're not growing? What if we're not growing? You know, maybe we've been at church for a really long time. You don't feel like you are growing in the faith. Then what? Well, spiritual immaturity is a problem that our text this morning confronts. Here, the letter to the Hebrews speaks to Christians who seem to have stopped growing. They, they stopped progressing. And indeed, they are in danger of getting, going backwards, of regressing. You know, some of these Christians... Uh, the, the original readers of the letter, they are thinking about going back to, to Judaism with its sacrificial rituals and religious practices. You know, some of these Christians are getting weary of following Jesus because it's getting too difficult. and It seems easier just to go back to the world, what they're familiar with. You know, they're, they're turning away from the gospel to other things that they think are better than Jesus. Like them, how might we also be struggling to continue growing spiritually? We may be distracted by the cares, the busyness, the pursuits of life, which often may seem better to us than the hard work of following Jesus. You know, some of us may have settled into a comfortable complacency that has somewhat cooled our zeal for spiritual things. You know, maybe for some of us who are a bit older, we, we look back on our younger years, you know, when we were still maybe in school or, or just started work, you know, we, we see our fervor and uh, zeal for the Lord in the past, but maybe things have changed now. Maybe we've settled into a, a kind of quiet uh, satisfaction with not doing too much, with not growing very much. I, I think this is the irony that sometimes the older we get, the less we grow. 
So are we still growing spiritually? Maybe we've become spiritually sluggish. I think that's the word that our passage uses. So Hebrews urges us to keep growing. Don't stop. Keep moving to maturity. Keep growing, especially amid the spiritual challenges and dangers that we face. You know, one of the Bible's sternest warnings is found in our text. This is a sobering text to go through. You know, but we need to realize that the, the aim of this stern warning is not to scare us, but to exhort us to press on, to keep going on. So here's the big idea of our text this morning. We must grow up in Christ so that we don't fall away. We must grow up in Christ so that we don't fall away. So the passage does three things. The passage admonishes, the passage warns, and the passage ends with an encouragement. So that's our outline for this morning. Uh, First, the admonishment to go on, grow up. Second, the warning, watch out, don't fall. Third, the encouragement to take heart and keep going. Uh, So those are the three points. So, So kids, thanks for joining us today if you're 11 and 12. So take down the outline and then after that, ask your parents or ask the grown-up who brought you to explain them to you further. Ask them if you have questions. Uh, thank you for being here, and I pray that you listen well uh, along with the rest of us. So let me, read by, let me begin by reading from uh, chapter 5, verse 11, and I'll read to chapter 6, verse 3, as we think about our first point. Chapter 5, verse 11. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ, and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Well, last week, uh, Sam preached the earlier passage before this, and we were introduced to the truth about Jesus Uh, and and how Jesus was appointed by God to be a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So who is Melchizedek? And why does it matter to us? Well, Hebrews wants to take us on a deep dive into the depths of the gospel uh, to to show us the, the glories of who Jesus is and what he has done and still is doing for us. And Hebrews wants us to to know Jesus better so that we will be better equipped to apply the gospel to our lives so that we can really benefit from the truths of the gospel. But there's a problem. The the hearers have no appetite for these rich gospel truths. You you notice how uh, in in this letter, the the author interrupts his own argument. He's about to say more about Melchizedek, verse 10 He talks about how Jesus was designated by God, a high priest, after the order of Melchizedek. So you expect him to then talk about what this means, but he doesn't do that. Instead, verse 11, he says, or rather verse 12 to 14, he says, you need milk, not solid food. 
Yeah, you're not ready to listen to this. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child, but solid food is for the mature. So for children to grow, we, we all know that children need solid food. You, you, you can't raise a child just on milk alone. The, the child won't grow in a healthy way. You know, we, it'd be really concerning if you find a grown-up and he only drank milk. You know, but, but, th- but this is what these Christians are like. They are spiritually immature, not because they are new Christians. So these are not new Christians. They're spiritually mature because they can't take solid food or they don't want to take solid food. They're pretty happy with milk. You know, and, and these verses highlight four signs of spiritual immaturity. And we, we think about these four signs and, and and think about how God is calling us to grow up to maturity. So number one, the first sign of spiritual maturity is that we don't want to listen. So the author would like to tell us more about Melchizedek and Jesus, but will we listen? Verse, uh, verse 11 says, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. So the issue is not a lack of intellectual understanding. The issue is dull of hearing, which means a lack of desire to hear. To be dull of hearing means to be spiritually sluggish. You know, the the, the word dull of hearing, the word dull is is actually better translated perhaps sluggish, which is the same word we find in chapter 6, verse 12. So this whole section here is paragraphed by that word sluggish. 5 verse 11 and 6 verse 12. So it means sluggish, it means callous, it means disinterested. You know, imagine that the feast of God's word is offered to us and we say, not hungry. You know, it's like Sam talked about the abalone last week. You know, it's like we have abalone, but we don't want to eat it. We don't, we don't want to chew on it. We don't, we don't want to suck on it. We're happy just to leave it. You know, friends, we have so many opportunities to hear, to read, to study the Bible. You know, I, I think it's a great blessing that we have the Bible in our own language. You know, many different people groups around the world, they, they don't have the Bible in their own language. So praise God that we have the Bible in our own language and not just one translation, but many translations uh, in, in English and even some in Mandarin as well, if we're more used to reading Mandarin. So many opportunities to hear the Bible, to read the Bible. We have sermons each week. We have equipped classes, Wednesday Bible studies, small group Bible studies in our care groups or just in small groups. Uh, we meet up one-to-one to read the Bible. You know, so many opportunities. We have good Christian books available at the bookstore downstairs. So check it out after the service. We have resources on hand. You know, we have all this and more. But are we good listeners? Are we good listeners? I think this passage is calling us to be active listeners, not passive. Listening is not passive. As you sit here this morning, you are supposed to be actively listening to what's being said from God's Word, not passive. So what does it mean to be active listener? So just five very quick encouragements for us, five ways to listen better. You know, before you come on Sundays, pray and prepare. And pray for the preacher as well, that we would be faithful 
in opening up Scripture to the rest of us. Pray for us to have open hearts to the Word. And then when you come, you know, open your Bible. You know, it, it's helpful to have an open Bible before you. Follow along in your Bible. Take notes. You know, if that helps you to pay attention better and to remember what's being said. Number three, you know, listen and talk with one another. So listen well, and then after this, go talk with one another. You know, oftentimes, talking and discussing something that's been, that we've heard helps us to remember and apply better. So listen and talk about the sermons. Talk about God's Word. And number four, you know, be consistent and patient. You know, oftentimes when we listen to sermons, we may not have you know, an instantaneous, dramatic reaction, do we? But it's the consistent work of listening patiently to the Word of God, allowing it to, over time, shape our hearts. So be consistent and patient. You know, don't come one week and think, oh, that didn't do anything, and then after that, decide not to come. Right? Be consistent and patient. And then finally, pray to trust and obey. You know, take, take what we've heard, pray on it, resolve to trust God. You know, pray for help to obey and follow Him. Right? So these are just five ways to listen better, listen actively. A second sign of spiritual immaturity is forgetfulness. You know, look at verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You know, so, so just to be clear again, you know, these are not new Christians. Uh, they're, not, they're not new in the faith. The, the author tells them they ought to be teachers. They ought to be teaching others to know and follow Jesus, but instead, they keep needing to have others teach them the fundamentals of the faith again and again. You know, they, they keep having to go over the same ground again and again. You know, they, they can't grow up or they won't grow up because they let good Bible teaching go in one ear and out the other. So, so they don't really take to heart what's been said. You know, we may have heard numerous sermons, sat through countless of Bible studies. You know, we may be a long-time churchgoer, uh, a long-time member of the church. You know, but, but if we have received teaching, you know, then how are we teaching others? Maturity here means speaking God's truth to others to encourage them in Christ. You know, that, that's a mark of maturity. So how are we helping one another to grow in the faith? You know, one, one way to do that is to read the Bible with someone else, to meet up during the week, pray, read Scripture together, encourage one another. I, mean, I hope we realize that spiritual maturity is, isn't just harmful to ourselves, but spiritual maturity hurts the spiritual immaturity, sorry, spiritual immaturity hurts the church. Because when, when we refuse to pull our weight, you know, other members have to pick up the slack. You know, other members have to shoulder our load as well. That's the the harmful effect of spiritual immaturity. So for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the church. And I pray that we, we don't remain immature. And I pray that we would contribute to the life of the body and not simply consume. You know, that we would do spiritual good to one another. 
Uh, a third sign of spiritual immaturity is to be unskilled. Verse 13, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. You know, when we learn a new sport, we understand that in order to get good at a sport, we need to practice and practice regularly, consistently. Otherwise, we will always be a beginner right, if we don't practice. So that, that's the sense here as well. You know, to be unskilled in the word is to not put into practice what we've heard. You know, being, un, being skilled in the word doesn't mean that we all have to be Bible scholars. Being skilled in the word simply means that we are committed to learn and to do the truth. It's to apply and obey God's Word. So every time we read or, or hear God's Word, we're constantly asking ourselves, so what? Right? That's a good question to ask every time you finish reading your Bible. So what? <laughs> or what now? Right? Those, those two simple questions to ask. Right? So what? What now? Right? The, it, it signals a commitment to put into practice. That's what it means to be skilled in the Word. It doesn't mean that we have a lot of Bible knowledge, but it means that we are committed to putting into practice what we know. That's what it means to be skilled in the Word, which connects to the, the, the fourth point on spiritual immaturity. Right? You notice how maturity is defined in verse 14. The mature are those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice, right? Not, not, not by just, I know a lot of my Bible, right? I do lots of Bible studies, so I have a lot of Bible knowledge. That's not maturity. But maturity means I'm constantly practicing, and this practice is training me to be discerning. By contrast, a lack of discernment is the fourth sign of spiritual immaturity, the immature are easily led astray. Uh, if, if we are not growing, we will naively believe whatever we watch on YouTube. <laughs> we will naively believe whatever we read in our WhatsApp messages to get forwarded to us. We we're easily shaken, right? By these things, right? Oh, what about this? What about that? I'm not really sure now. That's a sign of immaturity. So to tell right from wrong, to, to tell true from false, we must grow up in Christ. That's what it means to be spiritually mature. We, we, we're hearing the Word. We are committed to living out the Word, and this is training us to be discerning. Discernment is not just an intellectual thing. Discernment is trained by constant practice. I think that's why Paul in Ephesians 4 exhorts us to grow up. And he says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. So, so these really are the four signs of immaturity. And they're just like children, right? So children don't listen. Sorry, kids. <laughs> children are forgetful. Children are unskilled, right? They, they, they don't have a lot of practice because they're still young. Uh, children are often undiscerning, right? So you have to come alongside a child and, and tell them this is tr true, false, that's right, that's wrong. So, so these are spiritual children that the author of Hebrews is writing to. He, he's pointing out their immaturity. So a mature Christian, on the other hand, is someone who listens well to God's Word, who is giving for the good of others, 
discipling others, teaching, encouraging. A mature Christian is someone who not just knows the truth, but practices the truth. And, and through that practice of the truth, a mature Christian is someone who is spiritually discerning, who is not easily swayed by any teaching or thing that he or she hears. Now, therefore, Hebrews exhorts us to pursue maturity. Uh, Hebrews admonishes us to go on and grow up. Chapter 6, verse 1, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Basically, Hebrews is saying to us, don't stay in primary one. Don't stay in primary one. That's what it means to leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. Don't remain in kindergarten forever. Don't stay in primary one forever. You know, my, my son, he, he, some, some months ago, he was involved in a, in a math program which involved completing a whole series of worksheets. Right? So, so you do a set of worksheets, you get those right, and then you, do on, you go on to the next level, you level up to the more difficult set of worksheets, you get those right, and then you keep leveling up to worksheets of increasing difficulty. I, I think that's the sense in these, verse, right? in these verses. Right? Leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. The author's not saying to us, forget the gospel, right? Leave Jesus behind and go on to something else. He's not saying that at all. But the author is saying, there are elementary truths of Christ that we need to get right, that we need to hold on to really tightly, to have a solid foundation in the gospel that we can build on and progress. So like my son, when he did the math course, it didn't mean that once you finish a set of worksheets, you forget those things and you kind of throw them away and do, do something else. No, the, the worksheets are, are designed to be elementary and then you build on that, you go on to the next level, and you build on that, you go on to the next level and, and so on. That's what the author of Hebrews is calling us to do. Keep building on the foundation of Christ. But, but don't stay at the foundational level. Keep growing. Keep growing. Right? Don't leave the gospel behind. But build such a solid foundation in the gospel that you can grow from that. Because Jesus is better. So don't leave him behind. Build on the foundation of Christ and grow up from that. And our foundation will be shaky if we don't get the basics right. We can't go on to maturity if we keep having to rebuild that foundation. Verse 1 and 2, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Right, these are the fundamentals of the faith. Right? You, know, you can't be a Christian if you deny these things. Right? These are fundamental truths of the faith. Uh, and the first four of these truths that the author tells us about have to do with the start of the Christian life. He mentions repentance or turning away from sin and then faith turning to God through faith in Jesus. So that, that's the start of the Christian life. That's, that's what it means to be converted, to turn away from sin and to put our faith in Jesus alone to save us. Uh, wash, washings probably refers to baptism, right? So you repent, believe, and then you're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit into the people of God, into the church. So washings, baptism. So again, the start of the Christian life. So if you're a Christian and you've not been baptized, can I encourage you to seek baptism? 
Right? That, that, according to Scripture, that, that's, that should happen at the start of our Christian life. Then laying on of hands probably represents the receiving of the Spirit. Right? So when someone becomes a Christian, they repent, believe, they're baptized into the body of Christ. Uh, hands are laid on them as, as a sign that they now have the Spirit of God because they've come to follow Jesus and they are part of God's people. So the first four, uh, the first four of these have to do with conversion and the start of our Christian lives. And Hebrews is saying, get these right. right? Be, be clear about conversion. Be clear about the gospel because you're going to build from this foundation. And then the last two have to do with the end of our Christian lives on this earth. It talks about the resurrection of the dead at the end of time and then talks about how there will be a final judgment, resurrection and eternal judgment. So the beginning of the Christian life, the end of the Christian life. So Hebrews says, hold fast to these fundamentals. Hold fast to these fundamentals. So we grow in Christ by building on these fundamentals. For the gospel to be the A to Z of our lives, we need to know the ABCs of the gospel. And I think one of the best things we can do is to learn how to explain the gospel clearly. Right? Learn how to articulate the gospel, to understand it and to explain it clearly. You know, it, it does wonders for our personal evangelism, but it's also good for our own souls. You know, it, it's how we hold fast to the gospel. So any faithful explanation of the gospel should include these four truths. Truths about God, about man, about Jesus, and our response. Right? So that's really easy to remember. Right? God, man, Christ, response. Right? So, so learn how to articulate the gospel with, with, with these key truths. God, man, Christ, response. So what about God? Right? God is our holy creator who made us to worship him Right, to know Him, to enjoy Him forever. Uh, God is holy and righteous. That's His character. What, what about man? Man, we are made in God's image, We're meant to reflect God's holiness and righteousness, meant to reflect His character, meant to worship Him and to love Him, to follow Him. Uh, but man has also fallen in sin. So man, we have all sinned and turned away from God. And because God is righteous and just and, and He's holy, he cannot leave sin unpunished. For, for him to do that would be to be less than God. But because God is holy and just, sin must be dealt with. Sin must be punished because it, sin ruins God's good creation. So that's our problem. So God, man, and then Jesus. God has graciously sent his son Jesus to save sinners like us. Jesus is fully man, fully God, and unlike us, he perfectly obeyed God, even to the point of death on the cross for sinners. You know, our problem is we are sinners and we're under God's judgment. Jesus has come and he's taken God's wrath in the place of all who would trust in him. You know, through the cross, our sins are forgiven and we are brought back to God. So we're no longer under God's wrath. But now in Jesus, we enjoy the forgiveness of sins. We enjoy true cleansing from within. And we enjoy a reconciled relationship with God, the one who made us for himself.
to know Him and enjoy Him forever. Jesus rose from the dead to give us new life. He's ascended in glory and He sits as King forever. And He rules over us as our Lord. And we can't do anything to save ourselves. We can't contribute our good works, but we simply trust in the Saviour whom God has provided. Therefore, the response for God, man, Christ, response, the response that God calls us to make to the gospel is not do works to earn God's salvation. No, not at all. But the response is to simply repent and believe in Jesus to save us because we can't do anything to help ourselves. Oh, friends, have we believed this gospel? This is fundamental. Uh, we, this is the foundation from which we build on. God, man, Christ, response. Have, have we believed this gospel? Are we holding on tightly to these truths about God, to these truths about who we are, to these truths about who Jesus is and what He's done, and the truth about repentance and faith? Right? These are the fundamentals that Hebrews is calling us to cling on to really, really tightly so that we can build on them and grow to maturity. If you've, if you've not believed this gospel, can I encourage you to come to Jesus, to trust in Him? Uh, that there's wonderful words of life for you, friend. If you've not believed in Jesus, turn away from your rebellion and trust in the Savior who loves you, who laid down His life for those who would trust in Him. You know, the, the, the wonderful thing about the gospel is that it, it can be so simply explained. You know, just in these four points, right? God, man, Christ, response. It can be simply explained, and yet the riches of Christ are unsearchable. The, the riches of Christ are inexhaustible. Uh, to paraphrase a well-known saying, the gospel is shallow enough for a child to wade in, but deep enough for an elephant to swim in. Also, beloved, don't be content with a bare minimum understanding of the gospel. Be childlike in your faith, but not childish in your faith. Be a lifelong learner. It's free, no need to spend any skills, future dollars. Just be willing to stretch our minds and open our hearts to God's word. You know, none of us can say that we've arrived. Not me. Not any of us, none of us can say that we've arrived. Mature Christians are those who understand the need to keep growing, to keep pressing on towards Jesus. That's what it means to be mature. It means to keep growing. And, and I pray that we'll say with verse 3 of our text, this we will do. This we will do if God permits. Right? That, that's a there's a trust in God there in verse 3, right? Yes, we will grow if the Lord wills. Yes, we will grow by His help if God permits. Yes, we will grow if God shows us grace to help us to go on to maturity. So go on, grow up. Number two, watch out, don't fall. Let me read for us from verses 4 to 8. Chapter 6. For it is impossible... In the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again 
the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. So we must grow up. I think these verses tell us in very stark terms that growth is not optional for a Christian. If we're not moving forwards, we don't stand still, we're moving backwards. I think these verses tell us that it's dangerous to not move to maturity. These verses are a very sobering wake-up call if we're not growing spiritually. Now, these are difficult verses. So, So let's unpack them by considering who they refer to, what has happened to these people, and why. So who, what, why. So first, who do these verses speak about? You know, notice the change in personal pronouns in our text. It goes from the first and second persons to the third person. Uh, the verses before and after these four verses speak of you and us. But in verses 4 to 8, notice the pronoun is those. Right? Third person, those. You know, therefore, just to be clear, the author is not saying that his hearers have fallen away. He's not saying that about them. He's referring to another group of people as a negative example to avoid. He's saying those. You know, like what he did in chapters 3 and 4 when he highlighted the negative example of Israel as an example to avoid. He's doing something similar here in our text. And who are those? They are described as, verses 4 to 6, once been enlightened, tasted the heavenly gift, shared in the Holy Spirit, tasted the goodness of God's Word and the powers of the age to come. So they are like the New Testament counterparts to the Old Testament Israelites. The Old Testament Israelites were redeemed from Egypt. They they saw amazing things. They experienced amazing things. In a similar way, these people that the author of Hebrews is speaking of also have great spiritual privileges. They have been enlightened with the knowledge of God's truth, They have heard God's word and the gospel, just as how Old Testament Israel received God's revelation at Mount Sinai. Uh, These people have been given the heavenly gift of God's gracious provision, just as Old Testament Israel ate manna from heaven and drank water from the rock. These people have even shared in the Spirit by being part of the community where the Spirit dwells, the church. They have experienced the goodness of God's Word, seeing it save and transform. They've witnessed the powers of the age to come, displayed through signs and wonders that confirm the truth of the gospel. So these people have saw all that. They've seen all that. So who are these, so who, who are these people? They're not non-Christians, but they are professing believers. They are people who profess to believe in Jesus and they've identified themselves as members of the church. What's happened to them? Despite their spiritual privileges, they have, verse 6, fallen away. Basically, they've committed apostasy. That's what it means to fall away. Apostasy simply means to abandon the gospel. So they've abandoned the gospel. They once claimed to believe. So these people were professing Christians, 
they were even members of churches, but they have since abandoned Jesus. As a result, verse 6, very sobering words, it is impossible to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. So to crucify Jesus again, I mean, that's very strong language. It, you know, what does it mean? It means to totally reject Him. Right? That's what it means to crucify Jesus again. It, it means to harden the heart against Jesus. It means to say that Jesus lied, that Jesus is not who He says He is, and that He deserved to die. Right? He's a common criminal. He deserved to be nailed to the cross. That's what it means to crucify Jesus again. And you can imagine that there's no way back from that because this is full and final apostasy. This this speaks of a a hardened heart that refuses to repent. So this is not a case of someone who uh, wants to repent but can't. Rather, this is a case of someone who does not want to repent because they've crucified Jesus again. They keep saying, well, Jesus is not who He says it is. I refuse to believe in Him. You imagine why there's no way back from that. So so that's the condition that the author of Hebrews is describing. And I know this can be troubling for, for, for some of us who have loved ones and friends who appear to have walked away from the faith. I think we, we, many of us can cite examples of people that we know who've been fervent before, but they perhaps no longer call themselves Christian. Is there no way back for them? Well, the short answer is, we don't know. We don't know. know, Hebrews warns us of the danger of apostasy. It's very real. But we cannot simply conclude that every person who has seemingly turned away from the faith is an apostate in this final sense. We, we don't know. We don't know because we're unable to really see the state of their hearts, both now and in the future. That, that knowledge is hidden from us. So what do we do? We just keep praying for them. We keep praying for them. We pray that they would Repent and believe in Jesus. Don't give up. Just pray that the Lord would show mercy, that He would somehow soften their hardened hearts to Him. You remember what we've heard so far in Hebrews, right? Jesus is a merciful and faithful high priest. So even as we hear these sobering words, remember who Jesus is. Pray. We have a merciful and faithful high priest who is able to sympathize with us. And we can come to the throne of grace because of Him. We can trust in the power of the gospel to save sinners. So if you know someone like that in your life, don't give up. You know, be patient. Keep reaching out. Keep pleading for them before God. So why have these people fallen away? Hebrews explains it with a farming illustration in verse 7 and 8. It says, For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces the crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Well, the rain refers to spiritual blessings and privileges. 
the land is actually the same word as soil. So you know, as, as you think about these two verses, they, they're meant to remind us of the parable of the sower, you know, Jesus' parable of the sower with the four soils. I think this, these verses sort of allude to that, the parable of the sower. You can read about that in Mark chapter 4, for example. So the land or the soil is where the seed of God's word falls. And there are different kinds of soil. Well, here in Hebrews, there's good and bad. When rain falls on the good soil, it produces good fruit, receives God's blessing. When rain falls on bad soil, it produces bad fruit, thorns and thistles, and and it will go to judgment. So those who have fallen away have received the rain. They've received the Word of God regularly. They've seen spiritual blessings but they have not used their spiritual privileges to bear good spiritual fruit. Some, for example, in the the parable of the sower, Jesus talks about the the thorny ground and the rocky ground. Some hear the word and immediately seem to respond with joy, but when trials and trouble come, they give up and fall away. Others hear the word and, and it seems promising, but the cares of these, the cares of the world choke it, prevent it from taking root and bearing fruit. So the point is this, how are we using our spiritual privileges? Now, I think it's providential that the children are here. Kids, you know, many of us, many of you grow up in a Christian home and you have the wonderful privilege of hearing the gospel from young. What are we doing with these privileges? We may be a regular churchgoer. We may even be a long-time church member. What fruit are we bearing? What fruit are we bearing? You know, are, are we maturing in the faith? Are we growing spiritually, bearing fruit for God? Or have we taken our spiritual privileges for granted? You know, the, the, familiar, the well-known saying, familiarity breeds contempt. Maybe we come to the holy things of God so much that they become rather profane to us, rather common. Are our hearts becoming colder and harder towards Jesus? Oh yes, it it is absolutely true that genuine Christians cannot lose their salvation. Paul says this clearly in Romans 8. In fact, if you read on in Hebrews, Hebrews is again very clear that genuine Christians are safe to be held fast by God. You know, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And God indeed will keep us safe until the end. But that said, we must not use this truth as an excuse, as a cover for our lack of growth, for our spiritual immaturity. You remember, God will hold us accountable for pressing on in faith and obedience to Jesus. Remember Jesus' very sobering words in Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Our friends, don't just pay lip service to Jesus. Hearing without doing is empty. Are we growing in Jesus? Indeed, salvation is by faith alone in Christ, but true saving faith will bear the good fruit of good works. You know, if, if we just get a bit of the gospel, it's a bit like getting a vaccination, right? 
you get just a little bit of the gospel enough to make us resistant to the full gospel. You know, and, and the, the, the sad reality is that former churchgoers are usually the hardest to evangelize. And I think Hebrews gets it right. So, friends, it's good if our conscience is pricked. I pray that God will convict our hearts, that we return to Him. Finally, a word of encouragement, verses 9 to 12. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust, so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for His name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope to the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You know, these admonishments and warnings are sobering, but they're meant to shake us out of complacency. You know, the aim of these words are not to undermine our assurance, but to encourage us to go on. So, so in verses 9 to 12, the author changes tone he highlights the tragic example of those who have fallen away, but at the same time, he is confident that his hearers will turn out differently. Notice how he reverts to speaking with the second person, you, again in these verses. So although he is worried about their immaturity, he trusts that they will respond well to his exaltation and be saved in the end. He calls them beloved. Now, this is the only place in Hebrews where he uses that term, beloved. Brothers and sisters, these exhortations to grow up must not make us forget that we are greatly loved by God who sent His Son to be our High Priest. You know, we, we, we are able to grow because we are secure in our Father's love. And the author is confident of his hearers because of the fruit that he has seen in their lives. You know, they've shown love for God's name by serving the saints. Now, this is how we glorify God, by serving His people. And, and they, He's encouraged them to press on because God knows, right? God notices, verse 10, He's not unjust so as to overlook your work. So even if the people around us don't appreciate us, even if the people around us misunderstand us or even oppose us as we seek to serve them, we can press on with the encouragement that God knows and He's just to reward now, serving the saints helps our assurance. This is how we know if we are truly the people of God. We will love His people. So I encourage us to get plugged into the Christian community. Join a local church. And if you are a member of this local church, then commit to getting to know other members that we might love and serve them. You know, this is a really practical way of strengthening your assurance according to Hebrews. That's how you know that you are trusting Jesus because you love and serve Jesus' people. So take heart and keep going. And I'm encouraged by how so many of us are doing spiritual good to one another. And just as these verses say, you know, I pray that we would go on to do so more and more. This is how we grow our assurance of faith by loving and serving God's people by getting stuck in into the community, not, not keeping distance, but being a part of the people of God. This is good for our assurance.
So be earnest and zealous. Don't become sluggish. Make every effort, beloved, to continue in faith and faithfulness. This is how we can be sure that we belong to Jesus. If If we keep growing in Christ so that we have full assurance of hope until the end. Follow examples of faith and patience. You know, this author is going to talk about immediately about Abraham as an example of faith and patience. But we can look around, even in this local body, there are many examples of faith and patience that we can follow. Imitate godly examples. Be an example worth imitating. Beloved, we shall inherit the promises if we keep going. Our Lord Jesus will bring us home to be with Him forever. And then we can say, in the words of this song, soon shall cease thy earthly mission, soon shall pass thy pilgrim days, hope shall change to glad fruition, faith to sight, and prayer to praise. May we fight the good fight, finish the race, and keep the faith. Let's pray.